Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Anna. And today we've got a bit of a different episode where we're actually doing an end of year wrap up. So speaking to our global business unit heads at RFI Group to talk about what they've seen in the research and kind of wrap up the year and make some predictions for the year ahead as well. So in a slightly different format, I'm actually going to be interviewing Kate as part of the podcast today. And then we'll we'll go on to some interviews with Mark, Ahmet and Hubert, um, who are part of the RFI team as well. So for our listeners who perhaps don't know Kate to the extent that um, others may, Kate, do you want to actually introduce what you do at RFI and your role as Global Head of Consumer Credit Deposits and Payments, what that entails and the types of research you oversee? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for our listeners, in addition to being one of the podcast hosts with Anna, I'm RFI's uh, Global Head of Consumer Credit Deposits and Payments. So uh, basically, I um, I am responsible for all of the consumer research that we do that relates to specific products. So um, credit cards, other payments products like buy now, pay later, savings, mortgages, uh, consumer lending, all that fits within my remit. Um, so I'm responsible for all the research we do on that globally, which is across a number of different markets, but um, quite focused on our core markets in Australia, the UK, uh, Canada, um, and Asia. And I thinking about the last couple of years, you know, we know how how different the pandemic has made the landscape. And you know, we've looked at this in the business space, the merchant space, and you know, for the consumers. What do you see as some of the key impacts of the pandemics in some of the research that you've seen? And I guess thinking about the consumer group specifically, how do you think some of the impacts of the pandemic um, are making kind of impacting consumers um, in Australia or globally as well? Yeah, I think it's been um, a couple of years of some really significant change. And um, I, I know that that Mark and Armit, who are our business um, business uh, or SME and commercial um, focused business unit heads, they will talk a lot about what we're seeing from a business perspective. But from a consumer perspective, um, really, I think quite a significant shift in customer behaviour, both around I would say channel and payments are probably the two key ones. So we've seen just this rapid digitalization in terms of how consumers are interacting with their banks. Um, we've seen a shift to digital, but I think more specifically a shift to mobile. So if you look at a market like Australia, we already have really high rates of digital engagement in this, in this market. Um, but what we've seen is customers shifting from using online banking, so using a desktop computer or laptop, to using mobile banking. Um, and that means that there's, there's a, sort of a changing set of customer expectations. There's more banks need to do around onboarding and, um, and sort of helping customers through a digital experience. There's changing expectations around what an app will, um, what sort of features an app will have. So a lot that's changed in that space and will continue to change, I think, going forward as well. And then the other one is, is payments. So greater usage of contactless cards, greater usage of mobile payments. Um, we've really seen the decline of cash um, speeding up over the last couple of years in, in every market that we're in. So these are pre-existing trends but have really been accelerated by the pandemic. Um, there's lots of other things that I think have, have changed as well, in particular things like the ways that we all work and interact with each other, but um, they're probably the two ones that I see from a consumer banking perspective. Do you think that cash will be declining rapidly in the next couple of years, or do you see it sort of stabilised post the peak pandemic and is kind of naturally declining at the rate that it was previous to the pandemic, um, kind of making consumers need to rely on digital or card payments where, where shops weren't actually allowing them to use cash? 
It's an interesting question. I think whenever we get asked why or what stops customers from using non-cash payment methods, so contactless cards is a good one, there's, there's sort of two things. One is consumer reluctance to change their payment behaviour. Payments is something we do literally every day. It's very ingrained um, and, and habits, very ingrained habits in terms of how we pay. Um, so just getting customers to see the benefit of changing their behaviour is quite difficult to do and I actually see that a lot with mobile payments. So customers who use contactless cards quite a lot don't really see the benefit of going from card to phone. So um, tend to stick with contactless cards in markets where contactless card acceptance and usage is quite high. Um, but the other side of it is, is merchants and, and whether merchants are actually willing to let customers pay in different ways. So what we've seen throughout the pandemic, I think is that's quite key is, is merchants starting to accept non-cash payment methods to a greater extent. So in a lot of markets you might've seen before, um, merchants preferring or pushing customers to pay with cash. And now we've actually seen the opposite. So there's, like, for example, there's a coffee shop down the road for me that doesn't accept cash anymore. So that's a big part of it. And I think that will definitely continue. Um, so that helps to enable customers to pay in different ways. Um, the decline of cash that we've seen over the last couple of years has been faster than we've ever seen before. And I think we probably expect that that pace of change is going to slow down. And in some markets, we have seen a little bit of a, a bounce back of cash of customers going back to how they were using cash before. Um, but over a longer term period, yes, we'll continue to see cash decline. Um, probably won't ever go away completely. We still see checks being used um, in a number of markets around the world. So I think cash will just sort of go that, go that same way and be used by particular groups of customers who prefer it, but um, overall become a much smaller part of, of how we all pay. So are there any other trends that you expect to have a lasting impact? So I've spoken about cash. Is there anything else that you think post-pandemic will actually continue, even when consumer behaviour goes you know, not back to normal to maybe closer to what it was prior to the pandemic? I think that the digital banking is probably the other one or that shift towards mobile. I think it's, it's similar to that shift away from cash. It's customers who maybe didn't have a reason to use digital before, um, starting to use it in new ways and, and seeing the advantages of it. So I think once you have that step change, you probably don't go back. Um, so that's probably another one that I think will be a lasting change. Is there anything that you expected to see this year that didn't actually eventuate or anything that you, you know, really, really expected that just didn't, didn't happen in the way that you thought or to the extent that you might have thought it would? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I think the, the big one for me is decline in loyalty. So last year um, at RFI, we did quite a lot of work around loyalty and um, in particular in a market like Australia, at the end of last year, we were starting to see things go back to normal and we thought we were done with the pandemic and, and obviously this year um, has proven us wrong. Um, but I think what we were starting to see was this significant shift in the way the customers were thinking about their banking. So um, looking at customers holding more banking products outside of their main bank, using more banks in general, um, not caring as much about whether their products were with their main banks, the main bank being sort of less of a driver of choice as well. That's a trend that I thought was going to become really key throughout the course of this year. And I think maybe hasn't had as big an impact as what I would have expected. Um, however, I think that that will continue longer term. If we think about that shift in, in digital and customers who aren't interacting with their bank face-to-face -face as much, if you look at why we've seen declining loyalty over a longer period of time, my suspicion would be it's because customers are now more digital um, so they're not interacting with maybe even thinking about interacting with the bank but they're interacting with an app and they're choosing the best tools and features because they're doing all of their research online um, 
So I think that will continue. I think we're in a very competitive market at the moment, not just in Australia, but around the world as well. So there's a lot of competition in banking. Um, there's a lot of innovation in banking. We're seeing really significant in fintech usage and, and new providers coming into the market. Binacle Later is a really great example of, um, of new providers coming into the market and solving a real problem for customers and really driving significant change. Um, so I think we'll see that happen. And, and also just with, with more fintechs, with more um, non-bank providers solving different problems for customers, I think that will mean that customers won't be getting everything from their bank anymore. They'll be getting um, things in different places. So maybe it means you have a bank account with a traditional bank and then you use Binacle Later for making payments or you use a mobile wallet for making payments. Um, and, and using just a, a variety of different types of providers. I think that's a key trend that we'll see globally over the next couple of years. Especially as we see customers no more, like they no, they no longer need to go directly to their main bank for all their products. Like you said, you can actually pick products that suit your needs specifically, whether that's buy now, pay later, whether it's an interest-free credit card, whether it's a loan, whatever it might be, this kind of less of a need to just do a one-stop shop with your main bank, which I think is a really great, change where you can actually have products that are really in line with what you need rather than it's the best you can get within the bank you've got that relationship with. I think we're starting to see more partnerships as well so it might be that you still go to your main bank and get all of these different services from your bank but they're being provided by different people behind or different institutions behind the scenes Um, so I think we're starting to see that that increase in partnerships as well and this idea of you don't maybe you don't need to do everything as a financial services provider anymore. I'm sure sort of big banks would, would still want to be doing everything, but if you're a smaller provider or if you're a fintech, that probably opens up a lot of opportunities if you can do one thing really well and then partner with someone else who's doing something else really well and provide your customers with a suite of products that meet their needs, but maybe actually aren't all provided by you. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that does eventually. I think we're starting to see um, signs of it, but I think that would be another key one to be watching. Um, Maybe not so much over the next 12 months, but over the longer term. And do you have a key prediction for the industry for the next, either in the next 12 months or the next, you know, two or three years? Is there one thing that you can predict you see happening in the industry? I think it comes back to that, that idea of customers starting to use different product providers, different services from different institutions, um, becoming less loyal um, maybe the sort of longer term trend or the longer term prediction would be the death of the MFI. So whether customers will still consider a bank to be the MFI, whether that will really mean anything. Um, we'll see customers using just a wider range of providers for different services. Um, the rise of sort of super apps and, and big tech getting into banking or different parts of banking, at least. I think that's going to be another interesting trend that we should really be watching and thinking about. Um, and then the other one that I touch on is buy now, pay later. We, um, from an Australian perspective, have been watching this for a number of years now, and we're just starting to see it really pick up in other markets as well. I think that if if you're if you're a listener who's in a, another market, buy now, pay later is something you should really be thinking about in terms of how it has an impact on your customers longer term, especially if you're a traditional provider. And we're already starting to see the card schemes really thinking about what their response to buy now, pay later is already. Um, but being able to uh, sort of get in there and, and maybe create those solutions before third-party providers do um, is maybe something the banks and, and card schemes should be thinking about. Um, but I think buy now, pay later is not just a, a flash in the pan. It, it's been around for too long. It's gaining too much traction. It's been too widely used in a market like Australia, I think, for us to say that it was, it was just a fad. So um, the continued uptake 
of buying up later in, in markets outside of Australia is, is another key trend that I think we can, ex we can expect to see in the next 12 months um, and longer term as well. It's a great point to end on, I think, just around what to watch and thinking about the role of the pandemic versus trends that have already been growing regardless. So whether it's a decline in cash, the rapid increase in use of buy now, pay later services for a range of different customers, not just a millennial customer, but an older customer, you know, any customer for different needs, there's products to suit them and the banks are competing with so many new offerings. So it's going to be really interesting to see what else comes out next year. And I know we'll be watching that quite closely. Absolutely. I think what I would, what I would end on in, in terms of something like buy now, pay later is I think it, it often got underestimated at the time as something new and um, as you know, just an alternative to a credit card, but it, it really solves a customer problem and it's quite different to other solutions in the market. So I think that more of those types of solutions, we should maybe be looking at them a bit earlier on and thinking about what's the customer need that it's solving and is this something that is, is materially different to what else exists in the market at the moment. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Kate, for being on the other side of the um, no longer being the host and actually being interviewed for this for this segment today. And um, now we'll actually go on to the interviews that Kate and I both did with Mark, Armit and Hubert. And then we'll we'll give a little bit more information as to who these people are and what their role is at RFI. But, but thank you for, for joining this this interview. Thanks, Adam. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kate. How are you going? Good, thanks. Do you want to uh, start off by introducing yourself and your role at RFI? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so my official title is Global Head of SME in Commercial. Uh, what that means is I look after the SME commercial product within RFI. Uh, that's across the globe, across multiple markets, and primarily in terms of the research that we do. I uh, also do a lot of the presentations to our clients, uh, I'm based out of Singapore, so I uh, deal with uh, a lot of the Asian markets. I have been in Singapore for about three years with RFI for uh, just over six years now, I think. Long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're going to spend a bit of time today chatting about some of the key changes that we're seeing in the market, um, but in particular from an SME and commercial perspective. So what I'll start off with is just getting you to give us a bit of a, a sense as to how the pandemic has impacted businesses um, over the last couple of years. There's obviously been a lot of upheaval, a lot of changes. What are the things that you're seeing in your area? Yeah, I mean, it's a... The big thing to talk about, I think, with the pandemic, because the impact, especially for businesses, has been so varied, um, whether it be across markets, whether it be across industries as well. Um, for me, I'm seeing, I mean, I can particularly bring in that Asian perspective around the Asian markets and what's happening. Uh, for me, there's you know, three key areas. The first is around uh, digitization of businesses. So their internal operations and, and digitizing what they do from an accounting perspective, from a day-to-day uh, -day management perspective. And then also within that, I would say the shift towards online uh, as a channel for business is really growing in prevalence. And that we all know about the growth of e-commerce in 
in multiple markets. We're certainly seeing that in Asia and a lot of the big um, e-commerce platforms have grown a lot, have got a lot of funding as well. Um, so obviously a lot of smaller businesses are also tapping into that segment by necessity and also uh, to take advantage of the of the growth that's happening. The other area which is more relevant to banking, and we're going to talk more about banking coming up, but uh, uh, the shift towards digital banking, I think that's a pretty obvious one. We're seeing on the consumer side of things, we're seeing it on the business side of things as well. Maybe not to, to the same extent in terms of the, the shift towards mobile first. I think the focus initially is to get businesses onto digital banking platforms, whether it be online, whether it be uh, mobile banking, but we might start to see more of that shift towards mobile first as well in the in the business and certainly in the SME uh, segment as well. And the final one is more, I guess, big picture and macroeconomic, which is around internationalization of businesses. Uh, this is a theme that we're seeing in the news as well with you know, lots of different uh, political factors at play, but the pandemic has really seen businesses think about their risk management uh, in terms of the connections they have with other markets, what that means from a supply chain management perspective and how much risk are they exposed to when things like the pandemic come around and you know they, they lose access to some of their supply chains. So I think we're seeing both at a macro and micro level focus more on the domestic uh, or uh, a shift towards the domestic uh, uh, sources for supply chains. And that's something we're seeing you know, across uh, multiple markets, obviously changes to the supply chain and connections and corridors businesses are tapping into, which is an opportunity for, for banks as well uh, because of uh, yeah, the, the changes that businesses are enlisting at the moment. So how do you support that and how do you capitalize on those changes? That's, that's the key at the moment. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of changes that are happening. I think the, the digital one's are a big one that comes up all the time from a consumer perspective as well. Mm. Um, what we, we tend to see on the consumer side of things is, of course, that that shift towards digital has already been happening and maybe it's been accelerated by the pandemic. Is that the same for business? Is, that, is it an acceleration of a pre-existing trend or has the pandemic pushed that trend um, maybe in a direction we wouldn't have seen otherwise? It's a bit of a push and pull, I think. Uh, we certainly were seeing more businesses move towards the, the online mobile banking space, but we're also starting to see it become more of a focus area for banks as well. So that's the supply side of things. Historically, I think we've seen banks focus more on the consumer side of things in terms of getting them to, to use digital platforms, whereas in the business banking side of things, it still relied very much on things like relationship managers and more of that face-to-face -face contact. I think because of the pandemic, it's become uh, necessary to do things uh, more and more online, and that's certainly impacted the, the business side of things. So it's it's kind of two-pronged there. I think the demand side certainly shifted as well as the, the supply side from, uh, from banks as well. And the other one that you spoke about around businesses sort of becoming more domestic focus, is that a change that, uh, that you think is, is temporary or do you think that that will continue post-pandemic? That's a hard one to say. I think it it depends. I don't think it really, it depends on the market, I would say. And I think it's more about changing supply chains. So certainly in the US, we're, we're definitely seeing more of a domestic focus in the UK as well. And some of the RFI stats certainly point to this with more of a pull away from international linkages for certain businesses, especially on the in the, in the smaller business segments. But then in Asia, it's a different story because we're starting to see, you know, 
Hong Kong and mainland China markets shifting their connections, but not necessarily becoming more domestic, but moving towards ASEAN as more of a focus area, for example. So they're changing their supply chains to the Southeast Asian markets because they perceive the conditions to be better in those markets. So really depends on the market we're talking about. I think some of those underlying, it, it's more about the underlying reason for doing so, which is better risk management for businesses. And I think that will continue on uh, into the longer term. And are there any other changes that you think we've seen in the past couple of years that are going to have a really lasting impact on the industry? From a banking perspective, I think there's a few key things that we're seeing. And, um, you know, some of this is probably more on the consumer side of things. Um, disintermediation is something, Kate, you and I have been speaking about it early in the week as well, but it's something we're seeing on the consumer side with the rise of super apps or the rise of buy now pay later with the rise of you know, fintech providers sort of eating away at the various elements of the banking value chain. So I think that will continue to, to happen both on the consumer and business side of things. From a business perspective specifically, I think the when we're focusing on SMEs and the funding gap that exists for SMEs, that hasn't really gone away. I think it's still a, a problem area across multiple markets. And we see this in the Aussie market, we see it in Western markets, of course, and I've been talking about it for a number of years, but it's it's prevalent in the uh, Asian markets as well. And what an interesting stat for me is, is around in the Aussie market, which the IBA releases, um, it's a trend of the, uh, it's a trend of how happy businesses are with the amount of financing they have access to. And it's interesting that that happiness measure has actually peaked in the mid 2010, so around 2015, it has been actually declining. So the funding conditions, you could say, have been getting worse for businesses in the last five to six years, which is surprising given the number of you know, fintech providers that have entered into this space. So I still think it's a big opportunity, despite all the sort of new players entering into uh, the business lending space. Um, and I think we are going to see more innovation in this space. We're starting to see this with Binary Paylater, particularly in the in the Aussie market and, and that being applied to the, the business uh, business lending side of things. We know from RFI research that um, flexibility as well as uh, the application process and ease of speed of application is critical when it comes to uh, business lending. And I think that's still an area that hasn't been perfected by any means, whether it be fintechs or, or the banks. So that's another key area. I think and the final one for me is around trust. Um, and again, it's something that's been discussed quite a bit recently around the fact that banks have actually you know been able to maintain a great degree of trust with their uh, with customers this is both on the consumer and business side of things but there's plenty of threats on the horizon I think that the nature of trust is is something that's changing at the moment so uh, I think the fintech and the new entrants in the market are finding ways to establish trust in a way that's different to how the banks have established it in the past, which is through longer term relationships, you know, the history of banking, the face-to-face -face contact, and even branches were part of the fundamental drivers of trust. So I think that will start to change with the new players and they'll start to do this with partnerships. They'll start to do this by actually getting banking licenses. And we're starting to see that in, in plenty of markets, including in Asia with, with Singapore and Hong Kong and the digital banking licenses. Yeah, I think trust is a, a good point because we we think of trust in 
it, it's very multifaceted. There's no really one thing that contributes to trust. And as you said, it, from a consumer point of view as well, we see trust being built by in-person relationships. But increasingly, there's this idea of, well, these, these new fintechs are more transparent and they're, um, they're more open around what they're doing and their fees are lower. So it, it's just building trust in a very different way. Yeah, I agree. Um, is there anything that you would have predicted happening in 2021 that hasn't eventuated? So for having this conversation 12 months ago, what would you have expected to happen that hasn't played out? Yeah, and again, I mean, we take the, the banking lens. Uh, if I think about how we work, um, that has changed dramatically and, and very quickly, right? So when the pandemic hit, everyone moved to, well, most people moved to working from home, we started to utilise video chat and video functionality in order to do business. And I think that was a big surprise as to how seamless and quickly that transition happened. For me, the surprise is to not see that happen across um, the, the banking and financial services industry in terms of how customers interact with their banks. Certainly branches have had to, by necessity, either, sh either shut down or um, limit their uh, uh, functionality. But I think the extent to which video as well as things like live chat being used in banking hasn't been as prevalent as what I expected it to be. Uh, I mean, you, you see it for some, certain fintech players that leverage it, but uh, and, and certain banks certainly have started to leverage it, but yeah, particularly in the Asian markets, I haven't seen it sort of really take off, which for me uh, has been a bit of a surprise. Maybe it's a, it's a longer term thing that needs to needs to happen and, and maybe it's more the supply side with banks kind of facilitating it more so but I think that's that's uh, an interesting one that uh, we need to keep watching but hasn't quite eventuated the way I expected. Yeah I, I agree with that one we've been talking at RFI for years about live chat and how it solves the customer need and it just doesn't seem to have translated for some reason whether that's it's not being presented in the right way to customers or if it's customers just aren't there yet but you I would have thought as well through this this past couple of years that people were using Zoom and chat and Teams and that would start to drive a change in behaviour, but maybe we're just not there quite yet. Mm -hmm. Yep. And thinking about as we go into 2022, what are the key trends that you're watching? What do you think we should all be aware of and, and following as we go into the new year? Yeah, and again, taking the uh, business banking lens here, uh, I mean, I've talked about some of the things that are going to change for businesses, but from a banking perspective, I think that the focus is going to be around businesses. So if we look at the context at the moment, more of the macro picture, it, it's a low growth environment at the moment with um, uh, uh, banks uh, struggling to find sources of revenue and margin as well. So I think SMEs and commercial banking represents one of those growth opportunities going forward. But I think that's quite big picture. It's it's going to be within that, the, the segments or pockets of growth that we're going to see. So whether it be underserved segments, and I know, you know recently we've been looking into research within RFI around female SME owners and the, the differentiated opportunity that exists within that segment and the fast growing, uh, more of a digital segment in that, that female SME owner segment. But also if you cut across industries as well, due to the pandemic, we've seen there's been winners and losers, right? There's been businesses that have thrived, particularly in the digital space, but then there's been industries that have struggled as well, those that have been shut off due to the pandemic. So I think for banks, it's about 
yes, focusing on the broader growth areas, which is around business banking, certainly. And then within that, how do you find the, the pockets of opportunity um, around the, the various segments and the, the differentiated growth that's happening? And what would be your number one prediction for the industry over the next few years, either from a business banking perspective or more broadly? Yeah, uh, predictions are almost difficult. I think the one that's Aside from some of the ones I've, I've talked about, I think the one that's pretty clear to me at the moment is the emphasis and, and importance of sustainability within banking. I know we're seeing this more broadly. And again, taking a global picture is always challenging because there's different uh, differences across regions and markets. I think the EU is certainly kind of at the forefront when it comes to sustainability and shit is and, and that being part of people's decision-making as well. Other regions are starting to, to catch up in terms of placing more, more importance on this, whether it be Australia, New Zealand, the, and even some of the, the Asian markets as well. So banks sort of need to keep up with that. And the interesting way to look at this is, you know, when we ask in our surveys um, how much importance do you place on sustainability and, and ESG factors when it comes to choosing your banking and financial services provi provider, it typically ranks quite low. But that, I think that's the wrong way to look at it because the other way to look at this and, and something we do ask is uh, which brands would you avoid if they did not have ESG credentials or supporters of sustainability? And that's when it becomes one of the top three, top four factors when it comes to brand avoidance. So I think that's going to continue to become more and more important. And the final factor there for banks is when you're supporting ESG or sustainability, it is about being authentic rather than coming across as an institution that, that's just ticking boxes here in terms of meeting the, the bare minimum requirements. It's more about the tangibility of what you're doing and then proving that to customers. I think people really do, do want to see that. It goes back to that idea of trust and transparency as well. And yeah. meeting customers' needs and showing that you're aligned to their values. I think, I agree, it's going to become much more important um, going forward. And hopefully in, in 12 months, we'll be talking about all of the amazing ESG initiatives that banks have, um, have brought out over the course of 2022. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to, to have a chat. Good stuff. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us for this discussion today, Mark. So Mark Schultz is RFI's Global Head of Business Payments. And today we're going to be discussing changes in the industry and future outlook for the year ahead. But before we do that, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your role at RFI and your role that is focused on business payments? Yeah, sure. Um, so I oversee all of the research that we run at RFI uh, that covers business payments more broadly, uh, and specifically uh, the two sides of that being how businesses pay other businesses and, and, and that those accounts payables, and then the flip side of that being how businesses are paid by their customers, and with a, with a particular focus on that side on merchant acquiring. Great, and I guess starting off, it's hard to avoid talking about the pandemic and the last you know, 18 to 24 months. So could you let us know how, how do you expect the pandemic to impact businesses and all merchants longer term. So I suppose thinking about how they've already been impacted and then potentially some of these flow on effects are beyond the pandemic, you know, unless there was another strain next year, which hopefully there's not. But, you know, what do you see some of those longer term impacts to be in the business and merchant space? Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll start on the merchant side. And 
Uh, as you can imagine, one of the, the biggest impacts of the pandemic was, of course, the, the lockdowns and the inability for customers to go and shop in person. And so we've really seen this, this really significant shift towards e-commerce and, and online sales, online payments. Uh, and it's not something that in markets where we've started to see those lockdowns ending and life returning, if not to normal, then uh, our, our new normal, I guess. Um, it, it, we haven't really seen uh, a return to those pre-pandemic levels for e-commerce. So it does suggest that we're seeing a bit more of a, a long-term shift in how consumers are, are shopping, how they're choosing to make those purchases, and perhaps a bit more of a, a long-term shift in, or skew towards online sales, um, e even once consumers have the opportunity to go back in store. Uh, in addition, on the merchant side, over the course of the pandemic, one of the, I guess, silver linings has been that merchants have really started to pay attention to their, their payments acceptance needs and uh, really focused on streamlining, optimizing, uh, being really aware and paying more attention to the, the fees that they're paying, the costs they're incurring, the value they're getting for that, and potentially making some more informed decisions around payments acceptance than they were required to prior to the pandemic. So we're potentially seeing a bit more of a savvy merchant uh, emerging in the wake of the pandemic. And, and hopefully something that we'll continue to see looking uh, forward is, is a continuation of, of merchants that uh, are a little more aware of what they want and what they need and, and looking to providers to fill that. On the business payment side, uh, really the pandemic has accelerated a lot of longer term trends that we were seeing. Things like uh, similar to the consumer side, long-term but slow falls in cash usage, check usage, uh, a shift towards electronic payments, a shift towards card payments. Um, so not necessarily anything net new in that regard, but massively accelerating the, those longer term shifts. And while we have seen potentially some rebound, it does appear that we're starting to see things moving back towards trend um, in that regard. The other big change that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, obviously, is uh, an inability to travel uh, and potentially returning now that we're starting to see borders opening up, uh, a bit of a resumption in business travel. And that's particularly important when we're looking at things like uh, commercial and corporate cards and specifically T&E cards and uh, the, a return in the importance of those travel benefits potentially to where we were. But uh, one of the things that we're going to be tracking very closely is this shift that we've seen and increased comfort with video conferencing and uh, on the back of businesses effectively being forced to use remote working and, and remote meetings, um, whether we are going to see travel playing as important a role post-pandemic as we did pre-pandemic. So those are probably the, the biggest impacts that we'll be watching that, that may have really long-term ramifications. One of my questions was going to be around if any of these changes will be temporary, and that's an interesting one around the role of video conferencing. So speaking to your bank potentially or your lender or your card provider through a video call, it's going to be an interesting one to see if customers, once they can go back to face-to-face, -to -face, if they'll be straight back to where they were or if actually they're enjoying the convenience of being able to be at home or in the office or you know, even when they're travelling, they can still maintain that dialogue with, with different providers without needing to wait for a face-to-face -face appointment. So that's Definitely one that I imagine you'll be keeping a close eye on. Yeah, absolutely.
Is there anything that you expected to see this year that didn't eventuate? You know, thinking about last year was quite a new environment than this year. It there was different kind of increases and decreases of the pandemic and various lockdowns, depending on which state you are um, in. Was there anything that you did expect that didn't actually happen? Yeah, I if I remember thinking back in 2020 that. Well, I, if you if you cast your mind back to the beginning of the pandemic, no one could have predicted exactly how long it would drag on. And I remember quite clearly in that March of 2020 period where, where the world was starting to go into lockdown and everyone was predicting, you know, a month, everything, this whole thing's, this COVID thing's going to blow over. Uh, and then towards the end of 2020, that's when they were predicting that this whole pandemic thing, would, we, we were past the worst of it. But we never just quite seemed to get there. You know, Delta came out and, and restarted everything. So uh, I had expected business travel. I'd, I'd expected to be where we are now in terms of business travel starting to look like it was making a return uh, or, or potentially making a return. Uh, 12 months ago. So I thought 2021 was going to be the year where we started to see that resumption of, of business travel. Uh, but now it's looking increasingly likely that'll be 2022, knock on wood. Um, but again, no one, I, I think if the pandemic has really taught us anything, it's that uh, things that you don't expect will come up and, and throw out your, your long-term plans and predictions. So uh, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. But uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of things were put on hold. A lot of things were uh, you know, put on the back burner as a result of the pandemic. And as it's dragged on, I think a lot of those things that we had thought we would see in 2021 have remained on the back burner. So I'm hopeful that 2022 is the year where we'll actually start to see those things uh, becoming priorities again as we uh, eventually emerge from the worst impacts of the pandemic. Yeah, here's hoping. <laughs> Uh, do you see any changes in the reward space? So you mentioned travel, you know, business travel starting to, to resume. Do you see that business cardholders, particularly in the more premium space, will go back to traveling the way they used to and engaging with the rewards in the way they used to? Or do you think the rewards landscape is never going to be quite the same as it was? Yeah, it's a really good question. And one, and one that we have been grappling with in our research is uh, what importance obviously travel has has taken a significant hit and a, a lot of the benefits in in the TE space have been really geared towards facilitating that business travel um so looking at uh you know things like airport lounge access things like priority queues uh have not been relevant for some time so uh, I, I think it comes back to that point around around video conferencing and what this new business interaction landscape is going to look like uh i i think we will see an in increasing engagement with travel rewards but it's whether we're going to return back to that pre-pandemic level level or not is what we're uh what what remains to be seen um the other the uh, trend that we've been tracking over the past uh, 18 to 24 months or so has been a bit of a, a shift in the attitude towards loyalty more broadly, because there has been such a skew towards travel as uh, effectively the primary way that businesses can derive value from, from loyalty points. We've seen a bit of a shift in preference because they can't get the value from travel, uh, a bit of a shift towards cashback and rebates and um, a little bit towards other types of loyalty as well, um, ones that have remained relevant throughout the course of the pandemic. Uh, and so we'll, what remains to be seen, and again, something that we're, we're tracking closely is, is whether we're going to see some of that sentiment returning to the travel space or, or whether businesses are, are going to remain looking for something that's 
a little broader, a little easier to uh, generate value uh, in any given circumstance versus something like travel, which where if you're in a situation where you can't travel, then there, there's very little way to, to generate value from that. Yeah, the reward space is such an interesting one and loyalty as well. I know we're tracking it in the consumer space as well. And it's just something that particularly in such a ever-changing kind of landscape, thinking about can you encourage customers to stay with providers or is it just they're going to be looking for the best deal or the best offering or anything that you know, meets their needs, particularly in the credit space where perhaps they're leaning on credit more so than pre-pandemic or, you know, if, if they're in the hospitality industry, I'm sure they've been facing different types of challenges compared to maybe a cleaning company that, you know, has never seen such business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, what uh, potentially the other, the other way we could go actually to the other end of the spectrum. Um, and uh, one of the things that we have seen in travel loyalty that was I guess a, a glimmer of hope uh, was that businesses and even consumers in, in various markets were saying they were happy to hang on to their loyalty points because they knew that even if they couldn't predict exactly when it would be, there would be an end date on the pandemic. There would be a time when borders reopened, when travel would resume, uh, and they're going to have a, a hefty balance of points ready to cash in for, for that, uh, that big international trip. So uh, we're not quite there yet, but uh, I, I think there is, there is a scenario where we, where we could see, you know, quite a, a, a elastic band effect and this rebound back towards engagement with, with travel loyalty as they look to cash in on that value and those balances that they've been building up over the past couple of years. Absolutely. And we've spoken about a number of different changes in the industry. Do you have one number one prediction for the industry in the next couple of years, either for 2022 specifically, or maybe more broadly the next, you know, two or three years? Yeah, if I, if I had to narrow it down to, to one thing uh, to, to look out for, one, one, uh, one prediction, I think it would be this demand for innovation. Um, and, and particularly in cards, but more broadly around payments. Um, and I, I think that incumbent players will really need to keep pace with innovation or else risk being left behind. So uh, payments, and this is also true on the consumer side, payments is always where we've seen the weakest importance or, or the, the weakest impact of existing relationships and the highest willingness of consumers and businesses to look to fintech or look to other providers uh, to meet their needs in payments. And so as we're seeing this, this evolution of the payments landscape and more innovation coming in, uh, innovation in cross-border payments, things like virtual cards uh, being uh, rolled out quite broadly. Uh, I think that we really will that we'll see significant demand from businesses, both in terms of making payments as well as receiving payments. And uh, it's not just challengers and, and new players that need to be innovating. It, it's going to be the incumbent players in markets that need to keep pace with that innovation um, if they're looking to, to retain, retain customers and, and remain competitive. Yeah, innovation kind of ties in with everything we've spoken about as well, thinking about loyalty and retention and acquisition and meeting the needs of businesses and, and merchants. So I think that's a, it's a great prediction. And I know there's going to of really great research coming out next year and how how businesses are feeling what they're doing how they're making payments etc so thanks so much for your time and for, for answering those questions and sharing your predictions yeah my pleasure thanks very much
I am joined by my colleague from the UK, Hubert. Hubert, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kaden. Kaden, thanks for, for having me today. Do you want to do a quick intro as to your role and, and what you do at RFI? Sure, Kate. So I joined RFI back in 2014 and um, for over my over the years at RFI, my roles have changed um, quite a few times, actually. In my current role, uh, I head uh, part of our research, so we consumer and digital research across um, 26 different markets. So as part of this, we run a number of large um, global tracker studies uh, looking at consumers and a usage and attitude um, to retail banking, but also looking at uh, digital innovation, digital banking, um, and you know, all the new things and emerging technologies that we see in, in retail banking uh, globally. And obviously a space where we've seen a lot of change in the last couple of years. Um, what I'd be interested in getting your perspective on, how do you think that the changes that we've seen in the last couple of years, in particular around digital, how are they going to impact on consumers longer term? Sure. I think the digital space is obviously very interesting because we did see some changes, obviously, for a number of years prior to the pandemic. Pandemic gave um, the changes that we saw a huge boost, really. So one of the biggest ones that we've seen over the last few years was obviously the, the shift away from physical channels onto digital. So that's not something that obviously been started by the pandemic. It's a trend that we had seen for a number of years prior to it. But what we've seen since then really is that it has, the pandemic itself has accelerated this trend quite substantially. And I think the direction we're heading right now is probably reversible in many ways. Uh, we can see a huge and growing appetite among consumers for digital services. We know that the expectations of banks have been increasing in this area as well. So they no longer only expect banks to be able to um, allow them you know, the everyday banking journeys to be uh, taking place fully uh, on digital channels, but increasingly they want those channels to support them in their uh, money management, which I think is, is one of the, the key and, and biggest trends that we have seen uh, in the last uh, few years. And I think this is something to be welcomed by banks, because obviously the, the fact that it, this is coming from consumers, this, this is driven by consumers, uh, means that banks can really focus on this um, digital channel and building those journeys. Um, lower reliance on branches uh, removes one of the biggest overheads for banks as well. We know that you know, branches are one of the biggest um, expenses of, of, of retail banks. So the fact that consumers are using digital services really justifies all of that investment going into those channels. But also looking at the broader financial ecosystem, the fact that consumers are moving from physical onto digital. And when we look at that from the perspective of um, a, a new entrants, um, a, a fintechs, neo banks, we know that traditionally, and the branches was one of the key barriers to the growth. So the fact that consumers are themselves moving away from branches and, and really going to the direction of greater self-service allows those banks as well um, um, to enter this game and, and really challenge uh, some of the incumbents in the key areas. Um, if you look at those changes well over the last few years, I think the other one, also something that we have seen taking place for a number of years prior to the pandemic, but something that was further accelerated over the last 18 months was the decline of cash. Um, so dramatically accelerated during the pandemic. We did actually expect cash to uh, bounce back um, in, you know, when the lockdowns uh, finished around the world. What we, we just felt that you know, when, when economies reopen once again, 
and the reliance and usage of cash will go up. And we did see some uh, bounce back in certain markets, but that bounce back again um, dropped back and, and that trend that we saw prior to the pandemic away from cash and onto um, digital payments, mobile payments is accelerating once again. And I think payments as a space is probably in the area where we see uh, some of the greatest uh, innovation uh, taking place. Um, so if you look at the last couple of years, we obviously saw a number of new payment mechanisms being launched around the world. And looking at the last, well, it's not really two years, but really the two years, the last two years when we saw this um, um, extending to into mass market, the buy now pay later um, uh, technology and the buy now pay later proposition really, um, we see these these providers um, um, sort of uh, you know emerging around the world and quickly capturing market. And we know that credit generally is a very profitable uh, revenue stream for banks. And and the shift that we're seeing in this, and credit generally has been quite um, conservative. Consumers, the way they borrow generally was, was very conservative. We see this uh, changing very dramatically uh, around the world. Um, and the fact that consumers are, are turning to those non-traditional lenders for the credit needs obviously poses a challenge for traditional providers, given the importance of credit uh, to them. And you know, seeing how innovation is progressing in this in this area, I would not be surprised if 2022 brings uh, more innovations in this area. And when we see new uh, payment propositions being uh, launched. And thinking about some other trends that we, we saw, so obviously the early months of the pandemic, we did see shift in, in the bank's behavior. We also saw shift in consumer expectations of the bank. So in the early stages of the pandemic, we saw consumers um, for expectations, but also um, we saw consumers shifting their attention to how banks behaved in those early stages. So we know there were expectations basically of among consumers for banks to reassure them that the money remains um, safe. We also saw consumers wanting banks to support those who were uh, financially impacted uh, by the pandemic. And as those early impacts and expectations of consumers um, have subsided uh, over the last um, uh, 12, six months, uh, we saw this um, um, changing or evolving expectations of the banks spilling over into the area of um, CSR, sustainable finance. Um, you know, it's not something that consumers necessarily see as a driver of choice uh, globally, but you know, they are becoming uh, increasingly um, um, environmentally aware, and they want their banks to play in this area as well. So we saw demand for. Uh, features allowing consumers to understand their uh, environmental impact, gaining traction in several markets. Uh, we saw banks also becoming, I think, increasingly aware that this aspect is becoming important across the board, but important in particular uh, to the customers of tomorrow, so younger consumers, uh, Gen Z, and, and they are uh, playing a, a much more active role in this space. And I think looking at um, and into 2022, I think that the area of um, uh, sustainable finance uh, will become uh, maybe not mainstream, uh, but I do believe that we we'll see some new uh, sustainable finance, pro finance product launches uh, taking place in 2022 um, and beyond. I think just reflecting what you've said that some really significant changes around the way consumers interact with their banks and also their expectations of their banks. Um, 
Given all of the upheaval that we have seen over the last couple of years, are there any changes or any trends that you think are temporary, things that maybe banks um, or other providers in the market don't need to, to factor in in terms of what might change in the future? I think in terms of the temporary trends, you know, the, the aspect of trust, uh, for instance, we knew that, you know, this was always something that was important to consumers, but it was a very much a hygiene factor. And I think the last 18 months, we did see uh, in many ways a flight to safety. And, you know, it's not maybe that common in, in um, Western worlds, but perhaps in, in, in Western developed world, it was manifested by um, a temporary drop in the openness to use uh, new providers. There was so much uncertainty at the time that consumers just simply preferred uh, to turn to more established players. Um, but when we look at some of the uh, emerging markets, you know, when you have a very clear distinction between uh, the old banks, you know, banks are often uh, owned by the state and, and backed by the state and, and banks that are in private hands. We did see across a number of these emerging economies, consumers turning to those larger and more established banks. And I did speak early on about um, the fact that consumers are moving away from branches. Actually, in some of those, uh, those markets, the importance of branch has actually increased during this time. Even though consumers were still moving away from, uh, from branches or to digital channels, the fact that you know they could bank and they could choose the provider, they had a, um, a, a, a wide branch or physical network, gave them that extra reassurance. Um, so although I still believe the trust to be an important factor, I believe this will be an important distinction between traditional providers and the new um, 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 firms or a new entrants. Um, I think some of that initial impact and shift to in importance um, will probably uh, uh, subside if it hasn't yet. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Branches aren't just about access. They're about um, the message that they send to customers and that reassurance that your bank is there um, and you can go and talk to them if you need to. We see that, I think, in our data quite a lot, right, that um, the customers might not use branches, but they like the idea of them being there just in case, which, of course, creates a, a challenge if you're trying to maintain a branch network that customers are, are using less and less. Absolutely. I think the aspect of bank being there in, in case customers have problems, I think that was always there. But I think, again, you know, something that has been brought about by, by the pandemic, you know, maybe not, obviously, it's, it's, it's something that predates pandemic. But what we saw over the, like, the last eight months is that we, we know that generally there were a few banking activities that consumers often prefer to um, uh, conduct. Uh, via branches, via call centers. You know, whenever consumers had any issues with their accounts or with their products, they needed some extra advice. They wanted to apply for more complex products, home loans, um, loans, um, resolve any issues. They generally preferred to go to a branch. But what we saw over the last 18 months, there was again an acceleration, a very significant acceleration in the uptake of this new uh, digital support channels. So things like uh, live chat services, uh, video chat services, consumers are increasingly shifting onto those channels. And, and whereas in the past, they were only using them to you know, resolve some basic things. Now they're more willing to uh, use them for the things they previously turned to branches for. And I think this is a really important trend as well, both um, for um, traditional banks, uh, incumbents, but also for uh, for new providers that simply do not have that um, uh, branch network. Absolutely. 
Is there anything that you thought would happen in 2021 that you haven't seen um, come true? Any predictions that you would have had last year which um, which haven't come about? Um, perhaps I expected the demise of uh, online banking to move faster than it has so far. Uh, one of the things we observed um, uh, throughout the pandemic, so obviously the fact that consumers were moving away from uh, physical to digital channels, that was to be expected. But the fact that many consumers actually still um, turn to online banking, actually in some of the markets, we saw consumers who moved away from branches because you know branch networks were um, um, reduced access and they were running on, on, on different operating hours. Many of those consumers actually went to online banking services. So in many ways, it wasn't just the mobile banking that benefited uh, uh, throughout the pandemic. In many uh, aspects, in many places around the world, uh, online banking also saw an increase in activity. And it's not just in certain you know, less developed countries. We saw that in Western world. So we, you know, in Britain, for instance, we work with a number of largest banks. So we know that many of them did see um, an increase in the uptake of online uh, uh, banking services and, and online banking interactions uh, during this time. So I don't think that this is a trend that will stay with us. I just think perhaps because consumers stay at home during this time, maybe the idea of banking on the go, that obviously mobile banking is, is made for, to some it, it was less appealing and there was simply less need for that. So that increase in online banking interactions, while I think it's temporary, the fact that it occurred since the start of the pandemic was, was surprising to me. And I think the other one also looking at the, um, the area of uh, innovation, the aspect of open banking. So obviously there were a lot of hopes um, um, in the countries when open banking was launched. So you're looking primarily here at, at Europe, for instance, at, at the UK. Um, open, open banking was, was believed um, you know, to actually open up the services to new entrants. And it did in that sense, the new providers and new innovations being launched uh, pretty much, you know, maybe on not daily basis, but uh, not far from it in the UK. But what it hasn't changed is that it hasn't really um, enabled more competition in the market in the sense that, you know, the incumbents uh, who had a very tight grip on this market, there was a very little shift in the market share. So although we did see innovation coming and, and new entrants um, emerging, uh, third parties um, um, uh, joining the, um, the play, we saw um, fintechs, neobanks, you know, many of, of those fintechs were actually, neobanks were actually quite successful in getting customers. But when you look at the primary banking relationship, that still firmly lies uh, with uh, traditional banks. So in that sense, really open banking has not, been a game changer for the industry. And if you look at the uptake of open banking services among consumers, although we did see it uh, climbing quite steadily, consumers still often remain uh, quite reluctant uh, to share their information. They don't see yet the benefits of open banking. So I, I think to an extent, it's perhaps a reflection that open banking hasn't been marketed particularly well in this, in this uh, uh, market. And the consumers are still not aware and what it can do for them, they're still not aware of all the benefits um, that it can um, uh, enable. Do you think that will change? Do you think we'll start to see open banking gaining more traction in Europe or is it is it kind of too hard to go back given um, the way it's rolled out and that lack of consumer awareness, lack of consumer um, understanding and even demand for those services? 
Yeah, so we did see that um, awareness has been increasing, but it is a very slow process, I would say. I think, Kate, that if you look at Europe generally, um, particularly if you look at Western Europe, um, consumers are quite conservative in their behavior when it comes to banking and when it comes to using providers. So they're happy to try new technologies. They're happy to try fintechs. But open banking in the eyes of many consumers is just too complex. They just simply don't recognize what they can gain. And the idea of sharing information with third parties, although, you know, all those third parties need to be regulated, it's still, you know, it's still really scarce some consumers. So although you see, you know, on one hand, you have openness to new technologies, openness to innovation, or even demand for innovation, coming really to the center of, of consumer expectations and the, and the needs. But on the other hand, we can still see when it comes to innovations like open banking or sharing information, many consumers remain quite um, um, adverse to this idea. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, a challenge that that many markets around the world are going to have to to face into over the next couple of years as well. Um, and what would be your number one prediction for the industry for the next few years? You've spoken a lot about some of the the key trends that we're seeing, the key shifts that we're we're seeing in the market. What's the the number one thing that you're expecting to see? Um, so innovation, really. Uh, both, I think, product innovation and channel innovation uh, further strengthen its position as the number one priority for the industry. Um, and I feel this quest for innovation will produce more partnerships between incumbents and third-party providers. And I think those, uh, those partnerships will benefit really both sides. Um, so for third-party providers, we allow them the platform really to um, get those solutions to uh, the mass market. It will help them democratize those offerings. And for um, incumbents, it really gives them access to very powerful uh, platforms that you know, have been tested and they know that they can, they can use and they know they can, they can apply. Um, and, and all those innovations, obviously, it's, it's something that consumers should welcome because you know, looking at both you know, the capabilities of, of, of new entrants and looking at the product propositions as well, uh, it's bound to increase consumer choice in the market. And that's something that we should uh, all, um, you know, all involved in that industry and uh, really welcome. And I think looking at the product innovation, so the pandemic has really disrupted many of the traditional drivers of bank uh, revenue. Um, so I really expect banks to become uh, much more creative in looking for new uh, uh, revenue drivers, looking for new revenue streams. And I think this, this quest uh, for product innovation we provide new um, solutions to consumers of products and services uh, through uh, uh, mainstream banks that are not currently uh, offered today. Um, and this is perhaps one area, but the other one as well, I mentioned this briefly early on, is this whole aspect on, on um, and focus on CSR. So we know that banks around the world are looking for um, a differentiation they're trying to create unique brand identities. They're trying to appeal to the customer of tomorrow. And I think many of them identify um, the aspect of CSR, sustainable finance, um, as the one they can use um, uh, to that end. Yeah, I think that one just keeps coming up at the moment. So it seems like something we'll, we'll see a lot more of over the next couple of years. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean.